from AM and FM stations around the country. Welcome to the Small Business Administration award-winning School for Startups Radio, where we talk all things small business and entrepreneurship. Now, here is your host, the guy that believes anyone can be a successful entrepreneur because entrepreneurship is not about creativity, risk, or passion, Jim Beach. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting edition of School for Startups Radio. It is Wednesday the 13th and I have a fantastic show for you. I hope you're having a wonderful day, making a lot of money, and I appreciate you taking the time out to listen. You're going to be entertained and educated, I promise. First up today, we have Neil Rogers talking about a lot of different things. He is in the swag marketing industry, you know, the cups and hats and t-shirts and sweatshirts. I love wearing my company gear and I have bought hundreds of thousands of dollars of swag. And so I'm excited to speak with Neil. He has got a new book out called bar tips that talks about how business and the bar world are connected. And so I'm fascinated to talk about that as well. After that, we're going to speak with Stephen Hoffman. He is an organic marketing specialist, and we're going to talk about cow farts and how organic food that is grown correctly, in this case, beef, does not, it is not bad for the environment. That it's when we get in the process and take the cow off the pasture that we get this horrible environmental damage. It is a fascinating conversation about farting. (laughs) And burping and belching, too. Let's not leave that out. Steve is an expert on all of it. It's an amazing interview. This is one of my favorite shows in a long time. Appreciate you being with us. We're going to get started in just a second. Radio hopes you will reach out to us if you have any questions or comments, or if you need help with your business at any stage, from concepts to exit. Jim accepts all connections on LinkedIn. He tweets from at Entrepreneur Jim, and he responds to emails at james.beach at att.net. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. We are back in again. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, all you longtime listeners will remember or perhaps know that I used to be a bartender and one of my favorite jobs was tending bar. And so I'm very excited to recognize and to welcome my next guest. His name is Neil Rogers. He has written a book comparing bartending with business and marketing. And it's an absolutely fascinating topic and book. I can't wait to hear some of the comparison. The book is called Bar Tips. It is five-star rated on that Amazon place. And Neil has a very successful career. He is the owner and co-founder of Rogers Marketing that he runs with his beautiful wife. Neil, welcome to the show. How are you doing? 
Jim, thanks for having me. I'm doing fantastic. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Congratulations on the book. I guess we have to start here, Neil. What was the biggest tip you ever got and what was the story behind it? Oh, that's simple. So I was, um, I, this is after the bar business and in my first or second job in sales, I think it was my second, and I was in the food service business selling from wholesale to, you know, from, uh, from the, uh, selling to the chefs and the, um, and the restaurant and the hotel owners. And, um, there was a guy that I worked with, uh, and he was, you know, when you trained, you had to train under, you know, ride with people and take their routes and do all these types of things. And I would take Jim Gallagher's route. And Jim was a, a wise guy of sorts. And, but yet, you know, always giving you ribs and this, thing. but when you got him in front of a, a customer, he transformed. And I, I just, I noticed this. He was such a pro. He knew his products. He knew, uh, he knew the competitors. He knew everything. And one of the things he told me, so I learned a lot just from, just from observing. And then, but one of the things he told me, and it is a chapter in the book, it's taking ownership when some, when some problems arise. In other words, point to yourself first. Two things happen from that. One, you're less likely to make the mistake again. And you're certainly not going to lash out at the driver or the guy who picked the order or heaven forbid, the customer. So I would suggest that one has stayed with me all these years, and I and I use I use it I use it in my personal life, and I use it in my business life. I do believe the customer is always right. Excellent, but Jack, I was referring to when you were bartending. The biggest like cash tip, you know? Oh, cash tip! Oh, yo! Oh, <laughs> oh! I wanted to talk bartending first. Oh, okay. All right. You ever got from one person? $250. Ah, have you beat? Woo. Yeah. What'd you have? I got 300 bucks from a Georgia tech professor, English professor at a tech school. And it was wow. like a stereotypical movie. He had the tweed jacket with the leather elbow patches and yeah, everything. Yeah. And he was complaining to his wife that no one could quote poetry anymore. And he looked at me and he was like, you know, do you know any poetry? And I, I said, well, who do you want me to quote? And I got, I mean, I know one poem, Neil. <laughs> and... He said, Jack, uh, not Jack. I lost my thought. Um, oh gosh. What's the guy's name? Jack Frost, Robert, Robert, Robert Frost. Frost, Robert Frost. Thank you. Uh, two woods diverge. And so I know two woods diverge in a yellow snow. And, um, also, uh, the one about, uh, my little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near. He gives his harness bells a shake to see if there is some mistake, but I have miles to go before I sleep and miles to go by before I sleep. And so I knew that one. I remembered that one and I quoted it for him and he gave me $300 and he looked at me and he said, don't put that in the common tip pool. That's for you <laughs> not everyone else. So what do you think about that? What do you think about me not putting it in the common pool? Um, well, you know what they say, integrity is when integrity is when nobody else, what you do when nobody else is looking. Right. That's true. 
I honestly don't remember what I did. I've got to assume I took it. Uh, but he told me to, you know, so yeah. it was his wishes. Well, sometimes, yeah, sometimes you can have that sidey, right? But this guy that came in is interesting to finalize that story. He came in and he was a financial services guy. This was a, a, you know, some high end broker, but he was on the Boston stock exchange, what he was. And, um, a buddy of mine and I were behind the bar and he gave us this tip. So it did go in the common pool and we looked at each other and he said, we want to be able to do that one day. So he went off into the financial services world and I, I stayed in uh, direct selling. Well, it's worked. We all did well. Did well. Yes. yes. It's all done well. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How long did you tend bar for? So about eight years. Okay. What's your signature yep. drink? Oh, we were, it was, uh, back then it was all about speed. So it was, uh, in the places I worked at. So it was just basic vodka tonic, vodka soda, white Russians. Um, the, uh, then, then of course, uh, uh, and Bailey's came on the market. So then you had Bailey's Comets, which was just a white Russian with Bailey's, um, then our real say, I should, oh, my first bar, and so there is, there is a signature drink that I've not seen since then. The first bar was this place called the Full Sail in Whitehorse Beach, Massachusetts, a part of Plymouth, America's hometown. And it was called the Gowana Grabber. The two guys that ran the place took their, took their boat because it was a summer place only. They took their boat, went down the inland waterways and wound up in, in this island of Gowana. I don't even know where it is. But they had a signature drink on the island. It was called a Gowana Grabber. Of course, it just got got shortened to the Grabbers, right? And we and they brought that back and a couple of other drinks. But that one was the one. So it was light rum, dark rum, coconut rum, pink grapefruit juice, pineapple, orange juice. Shake it up. Don't drink more than two. <laughs> Excellent. Well, okay. I... Not only was a bartender, but more recently I had, my wife and I had a 10 year run where we went to PF Chang's every Friday night and there were three or four bartenders there for 10 years and they became some of our best friends. And I always joked that that was all we really needed for marital counseling and counsel and just like, you know personal, uh, counseling and accountability and all of that. The bartender at the end of the week would say, did you get your work done? And did y'all fight this week? You know, cause they knew our lives. They'd been with us for 10 <laughs> yeah. years and yeah. that PF just was closed and they moved on. And as you know, it all fell apart. It was that like one little period, but I believe a good bartender is as good. a. It can be a, a, a great friend to people. It's an important role. Well, you seek them out. You seek out the ones that have that have got it right. They 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 engage you. They 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 greet you properly. They put down the cocktail napkin. Jim, how are you today? Mrs. Jim, how are you? Oh, great. Then they then well, let me tell you about my week. How was your week? And then you just engage in this conversation. Maybe they did something interesting that week, and they bring that up. And and then but you know, and especially you know they they know you by name, which is. As you know, our old friend Dale Carnegie says that's the sweetest sound you'll ever hear. 
And so it's just about the familiarity and developing of that relationship, much like we do when we're salespeople, right? And it's, I always say, you know, when I look back on this little journey I've been on the last couple of years with this book, is that the only difference between the sales the salesperson outside salesperson and a bartender or the server or whatnot? Let's leave them all in the mix. Is the customers come to the bartenders, right? If they can develop the skills in order to go find the customers, they can use all those things that they learned as a good good bartender, good server, someone in the hospitality business to cultivate a very successful sales career. Very true. This is so bizarre. Uh, our last bartender, Dave, was actually the real estate agent that we bought this house with. Mm-hmm. And he got good at sales because I think he was a good bartender. So, how should we do this, Neil? Should we go through some of the things in the book, some of the stories and lessons from the book? Or should I name a random part of being a bartender and you give me your thoughts on it. Uh, how should we best serve the audience? Either one. The second one sounds, sounds, sounds fine. All right. Let's see. The first thing that comes to mind is, uh, closing time. Big part of Ooh. a bar is closing time, isn't it? And there's an art to closing because by this time, everybody's had enough loud mouth soup. They, um, they, uh, they, they don't want to go home yet, but as, as we say, you don't have to go home, but you can't, you can't stay, stay here. here. Yeah. Right. But and, how do we uh, relate that to closing that sale? And I mean, you've, you want them to act now at 2 PM or 2 AM, not 3 AM, you know? Well, I think this is where you've developed, as we just talked about, you know, you've developed, if your PF Chang guy is, is telling you that it's time to go and you've got that relationship that you've had throughout the night. You appeal to that relationship and say, you know, it's really time to go. Much like if you if you've developed your if you had your business development plan and you've got the place to a point where you, it's time to ask for the order, ask for the order. So very, I think that's a that, that would be that that would be an equal uh, use of of your skills that you had as a bartender. I would think. I would certainly agree. Yes. Are the sales cycles getting longer and longer and longer over your three decades? Well, we, we take a process approach. So uh, I would say that we're in the, right now we're in the, for the last 27 years, we've been in the swag business. So we do corporate logo stuff. And we have a process we put everybody through and it's, and it's one of those things I've outlined in the book and they just go in queue depending on how we met them. Is it a referral? Is it someone that we met? Is it someone that we know? Whatever it may be. And we take them to a process. I mean, right now as an example, we, we, we last year we lost uh, one of our, one of our major clients imploded on us. They, um, I mean, literally just went away. Not, we didn't lose them. They went, they went, they went, they went public or healthcare, health insurance company. They went public in July of 21 at $17. And in January, they were trading in the cents for a billion, a $4 billion company. 
and we were doing we were doing uh, over a million dollars with them. And you know, million dollar clients in our business don't turn up every every day. That's a development process. I developed that client over five years. But what we've done to that to that point is we put we've now anybody who's scattered from the company we've 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 tracked them down and we put them in our our, our basic business development process, which is which is you get you get a promo kit. We find we find your we get your logo. We start doing samples for you at no charge, and every month you open up a piece of mail from us that's lumpy. And we follow up with phone calls. Did you receive this? And, and, by, and by the way, the greatest thing I've been able to do now is I send them all the book and want to talk, you know, and I can take them, take them through the book and how our, how our, our, how our philosophy is rooted in the hospitality business. And so, so I would suggest that in that started, we still were doing business with them last year. It, it was cut in half. We're, we're, we're on track with our process in the last, which now we're in the eighth month of getting about mm, probably 600,000 of it back with new business, both, both from, from, so an eight month period, you know, it's just essentially demonstrating what you do, showing them that you're, you're interested, uh, being creative. You know, we call it being tenacious as opposed to being persistent. Persistent sounds like a pest. For a reason, the hanging phones and leaving voicemails and all that. We take a creative approach, much like you know, uh, much like we did, did you know, did as a bartender. You know, you, you create, you, you introduce people to people. Hey, I think you people would get along. Would you like to play a game of darts? Do you shoot pool? What's your favorite music? Right. And so, um, and so, what's happened is, is that all of a sudden, you know, we're getting this business back. And I think it's just, we do it in a, pro, in a process way. Some people can come early because their needs are there and other people are, are, are still testing us. We've got one that, um, that is a huge financial services company that we're not giving up on and they haven't even sniffed at us yet, but just, it's a small, small price to pay to get a big client. Is I'm just thinking about liquor and stuff like that. Is Bud Light savable? How do you fix Bud Light if you got that account? Oh my goodness! Um, I, you know, it's I, it, my, I have a friend that uh, works for a distributor, and here's here's how it is for today. His guys that would go into a liquor store or a package store, we call up here in, in Massachusetts. Packy. packy. There you go. Yeah, Packy. It would, um, they would typically get 330s, 330 packs. They're getting 30. It's real. How would I do it? I think, I think, what I, well, if you see the, the old, um, uh, oh, the bushes are trying to buy it back. Yes, I did. I, that might be the best idea. Right. And they, and they want it, and they're going to re, remarket their clients, their, their customer, I mean, that was just really a unforced error on on the part of those new marketing people. You just you, you say you're, you're cutting. You know, you just didn't know who your customer was. So that is that is lesson number one in you know in, in my in my view 
once you've decided or you know what your product or service is, who are you going to sell it to? And define them. And, you know, this, uh, they, they just, they did the, they made the wrong move, obviously. But, but I think, I, I, I don't know. I, and, and interestingly enough, I've learned that Modelo has taken over their spot, which really, I mean, it's a light-ish beer, but I'm surprised that Corona didn't grab them. Um, you know, if you're going to go with that uh, Mexican-style beer. So um, I think you got to get back to, like my gig is you get back to the roots, you go speak to the people, you start, you, you, you know, but they need people, they got to sell it through. So they've got to do the whole, they've got to do a whole ad campaign that's, go, that's going back to their roots. Same on the, on the, on the end user side and, uh, and then convince the, the liquor store person, the buyer that you're, you're, you're going to be driving them back in and you've given up on this, this other type, other form of marketing. So that would be, that would be my, my guess. My game is a ground game almost in everything that we've done, even though we deal in corporate America now, it's still ground like. So um, we don't really reach out business, business to consumer. How do you target a new tech company that moves into the, the neighborhood? Uh, what would your strategy be? Okay. So first off, we, we go to LinkedIn. Are we LinkedIn to anybody in the building? Secondary, secondary, you know, primarily or secondary. Well, primary, we reach right out. If we're secondary, we find out who who we are linked in with, and we look for a, a referral track. And then we offer them, we offer them just a very passive approach, where we send them our promo kit, which demonstrates what we do, and then ask them if we can start making them some samples for free. And we work on, we work on, so that's our, that's our marketing cost. And a lot of our relationships with our vendors, we get the samples for free. So it's the cost of shipping and then our time and all that, but that's the fun of it. And then you systematically stay with them. And then you have to make sure that they're getting these things and that your follow up, you know, ship them UPS with tracking so you know when they arrive, that's when you make your follow-up phone call. And then we continually do that. If we assess them first, obviously, you know, is it a startup? Is it a, you know, startups can be a lot of fun to work with. We do work with a lot of startups. We're thrilled to work with uh, early stage companies that are funded. And, um, but then we just systematically stay with them. We, we fall to the, fall prey to the, uh, the theory of seven that it's going to take seven significant touches in order to get somebody's attention. And we do it with, we do some digital, but we send tangible lumpy mail to get their attention. And every day, nobody is mad that you sent them a nice pen, uh, a, a tumbler, uh, whatever, um, that, that they just, they love them. And typically, and they're, they're thrilled to get them. They know when they, they know when a box comes from us, stuff's inside and so we just work with them we just we try to find the referral end though we want that introduction that somebody's worked with us before or they know us personally and can at least attest to uh that we're a good people and b good business people 
How do you know you're selling to the right person? How do you get to the actual gatekeeper? So we have, so we know, we know who our primary target is in there. We need to speak to marketing people, human resource people. Um, so we will ask our, the, the first foray into the client, let's say, if we have a referral source, we will ask them that question, but we will always send them something for the, for the referral, for the forwarded email, introductory, introduction by email, whatever that may be. So when we know we're in the right space, when we're in HR, we're in marketing. Now, typically, we're not dealing with CMOs. You know, we may, we may find out who that is, and then we want to look for their assistance and their underlings, because those are the people that are tasked with, with working with our products. That's a great point. Mm. The reception, not the receptionist, but someone's secretary or assistant's going to be your number one contact, I would think. Oh, yeah. And those are the people we win, win over. Um, so one of the, the original, the original approach when we first started this is we used to, before 9-11, when you could walk into a building, we used to do these things called power packs. So a power pack was just nothing more than a little shopping bag with a gift in it with some tissue paper. So it looks like a gift. And you walk in to the, to the receptionist and you ask them, you put that up on the counter and you ask them straight up, hi, my name's Neil Rogers. I'm with Rogers Marketing. And then you point to your chest where your logo is. We do logo merchandise. Would you tell me, who, who do you think might buy those in this building? Marketing, sales, and HR is our favorite target. Who would, the, who would those people be? They think they're getting a gift. So they're coughing this stuff up. And so we, we um, and then afterwards, when they, when they say, well, that would be Bill Smith. He's, he's in marketing. Okay, great. Would you make sure Bill gets that for me? deflated she thinks she's not getting a gift <laughs> oh by the way i've got a little something for you yeah, too. gotta have one for her too oh yeah and so she uh and and so what we've had to do is replace all of that that was truly cold calling uh walking in buildings um i had a colleague of mine did it in the world trade center again obviously before 9-11 and he was in going just in the elevator all day long because no, no way you can do any of that anymore. But we we replaced it with doing with using lumpy mail boxes, packaging, um, loud packaging, uh, different color um, pa different colored envelopes. We've done blue uh, blue foil, green foil, gold foil. So what we're doing, and this is one of the things we talk about, you know, in the book, is there's there's persistence. And then there's tenacity. We define persistence as, you know, being persistent. You know, telemarketers are persistent. Banging phones, trying to catch you, answering the phone, and then you regret every moment of it when you do. And, uh, and that's how you're going to start your relationship? No. We take a different approach, and we'll, we'll, we'll make sure that in this, these campaigns that we'll run it seven touches, and then we determine again from there all right, let's like this one big financial services company. I'm going to keep on marketing for them. I'm going to wait, wait them out till they finally just know that we've, we've done, we've been very professional. 
We give them follow-up emails. We send them things that are germane to their business. We send them different stuff. And, uh, but we're, we always want to take a different tack. So if it will, and by the way, all of these things get personal notes, handwritten notes. Yes. Yep. Okay. And so all the, and there was, there's one, there's where it's actually an aha moment in the book was when one, one woman that we sent the uh, personal note to, she sent us, she texted us a picture of it. She, and she said, you know what? Sometimes it's the little things that make my day. Thank you for this. Yes. Good story. Very true. No. So. Well, Neil, I actually was one of the buyers for, I call them the sussies. What do you call it? Do you use that word? We use promotional products, ad specialties, swag. Swag, swag seems to be yeah, the big swag one. is the number one word, I guess. The big one, though. We called it sussies at our business for some reason. I, my partner mm-hmm. insisted on that word for some reason. And anyway, I was the one who got to decide what to buy. And I've always loved having stuff with my logos on it over the sure. years. And um, I bought everything, the baby onesies and everything, you know, sure. and have loved the daylights out of it. And I also, in today's world, I try to still give physical gifts to all of the radio people that are important to me, you know, like our stations that we're on, we're on 61 stations right now around the country. And I give those station managers a real gift at Christmas every year. The number one thing I've ever given with my logo on it. I want to tell you what I've discovered and then have your answer. So right now, think of the number one gift you've ever given that gotten the most response. My number one ever most appreciated gift of all time customized legos people loved them loved them they 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 would make little i uh like make sfs (laughs) startups little logo out of it almost is take a picture that's what reminded me when you told me about the picture that the lady sent you is what reminded me people love legos for a gift what what, was like your favorite your number one gift idea well houston so the interesting thing because it's and I'm looking at it right here is that, so we've sent out tumblers and complex gifts and whatnot. Do you know what we get called for every year? Hey, Neil, you're sending the custom calendars again, aren't you? Ah, yeah. It's with their, their names and their name is, uh, uh, is in each of the, each of the the months. And, it's it's just and it's it's the least expensive thing we've ever done. We do that, and then we we do different tiers for for our clients, you know. So that uh, you know, depending upon how much business we do, and uh, but we we take care of everybody. But yeah, it's very important. I mean, we showed up at um, new client. Amen. I actually, got to see somebody. A six hour drive to Princeton, New Jersey, and a seven hour drive back. Still doing it after all these years, and we love it. And uh, we brought them all their kits and they got the custom made stuff from their with their logo on it. And I'd sign and I gave them all a signed copy of my book. Ah, yep. And it was like, they were, they were, it was just a, it was a love fest. Neil, how do we so, find yeah. out more? Follow you online, buy some swag, get a copy of bar tips. So, um, bar tips is available on Amazon. 
and Barnes and Noble. Um, it's been uh, very highly reviewed and very, very, I'm getting a lot of, uh, a lot of play PR wise. So it's been, it's been, uh, been very pleased. I mean, you know, from a C, from a C, uh, from a C, uh, a guy who got a C in composition in high school, uh, we did okay. Um, and that's, that can be found on Amazon. And then our promotional business is Rajmark, R-O-G, M as in Mary, A-R-K, dot net, Rajmark.net. Awesome. Fantastic. Neil, great stuff. Really appreciate you being with us today. Thank you so much. Glad to be here, Jim. We will be right back. Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a wonderful question, actually, Jim. Oh, my gosh. I love the opportunity to do this. Thank you, Jim. Wow, that's, that's, a, that's a great one. You know, that is a phenomenal question. That's a great question, and, and I don't have a great answer. It, that's a great question. Oh, that is such a loaded question. And that's actually a really good question. School for Startups Radio. For being with us. Very excited to introduce our next guest, Please welcome Stephen Hoffman. He is the force behind Compass Natural. You can find them on that web thing. They are a Boulder, Colorado-based PR and marketing agency dedicated toward organic and natural products and foods. He's had a very active uh, career in the food industry. He has run a natural products expo. He has been the director or the editorial director of a natural foods magazine. He's been the marketing director of an organic brand called Arrowhead Mills, which has been around for a really long time. He is also very active in the Boulder area. Please welcome Stephen Hoffman. How are you doing, sir? Jim, thank you for hosting me. I'm very pleased to be here and uh, talking with you and your audience today. So... Organic marketing, I guess there's a whole lot of differences between your stereotypical market and the market as a whole, right? I mean, all everyone in your market drives a Saab or a Subaru, right? <laughs> I haven't seen a Saab in quite some time, actually. Perhaps a Subaru, that's certainly the uh, stereotype that gets assigned to folks in Boulder, Colorado. It just happens to be that Boulder, Colorado is you know, a bit of the Silicon Valley of the natural and organic products industry. And as a CPG industry, consumer packaged goods, it's had a, it's had a lot of influence in the overall um, um, you know, um, consumer products market for food, um, supplements, health, um, health products, personal care, uh, fashion, uh, everywhere where... Um, Farmers are actually growing crops. It's a way of growing crops without the use of toxic synthetic pesticides uh, or synthetic fertilizers. And we think there are a lot of benefits associated with organic food and farming. Um, you know, kind of one of the sayings I heard from a young man on a TED talk was, um, you know, if you think organic food is expensive, you know, try health care. So we think that organic food, by mitigating and minimizing your exposure to 
um, toxic pesticide residues, also pesticides in the environment, uh, we think promotes better health overall and better development, better human development from childhood on. So there's a, we think again, a lot of benefits to organic food and farming and the market actually shows that um, throughout the pandemic uh, and it continues to grow at uh, six to 10% rates uh, for organic food. And that's compared to like one to 2% for conventional supermarkets. So it continues to lead in growth and that's based on consumer demand. Uh, again, it's the organic apple a day that keeps the doctor away. And that's my quote. I like that one. So we've established that the market is a little bit different. Is the marketing different or is it follow the standard rules? It follows a lot of the similar rules. Um, you're trying to build brand loyalty, authenticity. I, I do want to also point out that um, majority of Americans have actually uh, tried organic foods um, uh, there is a core consumer base, absolutely, um, where you see really a significant growth is in, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables, which is really important, I think, because uh, you can't really wash pesticide residues off. Um, even USDA uh, testing estimates that there are a dozen pesticide residues in a conventional apple inside it. Systemically, you can't wash it off. So again, going back to that organic apple model. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of growth in organic fruits and vegetables, and we're seeing a lot of growth in you know all sectors of the grocery aisle. So you might even find that if you shop the cereal aisle, um, you know, pricing is uh, of organic compared to conventional is is not that different. The problem I have with it is I don't know what the word means anymore because I think too many people uh -huh. have taken liberties with it. Well, let me address that, Jim. I would say that that may be true with the word natural. But interestingly enough, the word organic, um, in 1991, a law passed the National Organic Standards Act. Let me say that again, the National Organic Standards Act. It took effect as the National Organic Program under the U.S. Department of Agriculture or the USDA in 2001, 10 years later after they sorted through and created actually the only agricultural and food system in the world that can fully audit a product and an ingredient from seed to shelf. There's no other system like it. Um, so that is what defines organic and just basically for you. And, and so it follows USDA federal standards by law. If there are folks that are fraudulent, they do and have been, um, uh, penalized and you can look that up and see now you know it it really is an amazing system um so when oh big agriculture says well we really can't trace everything well look at the model of the organic industry that has to by law trace everything in order to be certified organic um so what that really means is again products that are produced it could be fiber for clothing it could be um, crops, corn, soy, um, which are the two main genetically engineered commodity crops in the world, um, which is actually also why a lot of people prefer organic because GMOs are not allowed by law 
inorganic. Um, so, you know, there are rules to follow to grow these crops. And what I think is really beneficial in today's times is organic agriculture also by law and by the standards set has to rebuild the soil. And when you're rebuilding the soil, that actually captures carbon in the soil out of the atmosphere. So organic agriculture is also very unique in terms of a farming system that can actually sequester carbon from the atmosphere back into the soil and help mitigate climate change. Meanwhile, conventional chemical intensive agriculture is responsible for up to a third of all greenhouse gas emissions in the world today. Wow. That's a scary number, but you know what, Steve, if you come at me and tell me that I can't have my beef, I'm going to say, I don't care about the environment. I'm going to, Oh, did beef. I say that? I did not. No, you did. didn't. You Matter of fact, you I would recommend you, I would recommend you, uh, take a look at grass fed beef, 100% grass fed beef and dairy. Uh, and with the certified organic seal, um, I could name a lot of brands. I have some clients myself, but you know, I don't want to do that there. But if you take a look at grass fed beef with the organic label, oh my goodness, it's a double benefit because most cattle are raised in feedlots and it's not the cow, it's the how I got to tell you. So when they talk about uh, animal agriculture emitting a lot of methane, you know, grass-fed uh, beef, actually, it's a whole ecosystem. There are actually <sighs> methanotropic bacteria that live in the grass that eat the burps from cows. Therefore, the methane never gets released, but put them on hard pack cement floor feedlots, then they're eating GMO corn and soy grain, which cows were never meant to eat. They were meant to graze. Um, that's where you get greenhouse gas emissions from livestock production. Those are what we call factory farms or CAFOs, which stands for confined animal farming operations. It's a farming type of uh, practice that, in my opinion, we should not be supporting because again, it's they're kind of like concentration camps and I'm, I'm sorry, big ag, but um, you know, we at organic, I think are a much more humane approach to animal production. So go ahead and eat your beef. As a matter of fact, I enjoy a great grass fed organic burger on occasion. Yeah. I was now the other benefit to that I want to point out is also the nutritional when they eat grass, um, they get a really higher uh, omega-3 essential fatty acid content. Omega essential fatty acids are real important for nutrition. They're uh, m much less in nutrient density in uh, conventional beef. I hope I don't get sued like Oprah. Um, but that's the case. Steve, my mom grew up on a farm in Southern Virginia, and she came home from school one day and asked what was for dinner and her older sister, my aunt said, Betsy and Betsy was my mother's pet cow. And my mother's <clears throat> pet had been slaughtered that morning and Betsy was for uh, dinner for the next month. Well, so, I, I imagine your mom was pretty upset about that. On the other hand, you can't know the source of your food better, which is why I encourage people go to farmers markets, et cetera, learn where your food comes from, get in touch with those farmers. But well, even past that, now people are buying their own cattle, you know, to oh, have interesting. 
their own mm-hmm. source of beef. So I, I've seen that marketed. Steven, let's go you in know, a different direction. We got to pay attention yes, to time. Sir. Let's go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. How did you build your agency? Talk about the decision to start that, to get out of all the other things you were doing, the first customer. Take us back mm-hmm. in time. Oh, I wish I could tell you that this was something I fully planned when I was a schoolboy, but no. Um, I ended up after going to college at Penn State uh, thinking I might want to be a doctor someday, um, but I didn't quite have the all the A's to go there. Um, but I ended up meeting someone in my senior year at Penn State who had uh, just come back from the Peace Corps. And it really attracted my interest as a way to learn uh, beyond the U.S. borders about the world and broaden my horizons. And um, I did, in fact, get accepted. And I studied uh, agriculture and taught agriculture in Honduras in Central America in the late 70s. And that set me on a road where life sciences met food and farming and uh, how to enable uh, communities um, with healthy food. Um, so when I got back to the U.S., I met a professor uh, who encouraged me to go back to school at Penn State. I got a master's in agriculture there. I worked uh, at garden centers. I uh, ended up getting a job with USDA and Penn State University as an agricultural extension agent. Uh, But unlike the Green Acres scenario of Mr. Haney driving around in a Jeep, I drove around in a Volkswagen because my assignment was the um, um, low-income Hispanic population communities of North Philadelphia. So that's where, again, I drove around in my Volkswagen putting in uh, gardens in blown-out city lots. And I would work with neighborhoods. We would clean up a lot. We would bring in mushroom compost from the nearby mushroom farms in Kennett Square outside of Philadelphia. All the, and then suddenly there's soil. We would provide tools and seeds. And from a blown out uh, junkyard, they would become neighborhood centers. And within three years, we were able to put in over 125 city gardens that um, a lot of them endure today. Um, and then I I saw a call um, to work with natural foods, and that's when I joined uh, what today is the largest media company in the natural and organic trade channel. Um, And from there, um, through some different, as you mentioned, my experience, I just realized um, what I liked as an editor when I learned about brands. So I thought I would launch this uh, boutique agency um, to serve in that capacity to help brands tell their stories. And I think organic brands, um, the true organic brands that are certified, USDA certified, look for that seal. They are authentic, high integrity, and have great stories to tell. And so how long have you been running the firm? Uh, I've been running the firm uh, since 2002 um, with some stints with some other organizations in between, but steadily now for about 16 years. And obviously your pitch is, you know, based on the organic, but, you know, Steve, you just drip knowledge, you know, like the cow burping thing that you taught us a minute ago. You know, that's yeah, the myth of cow farts, I call it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, if you were to come in and pitch versus some guy from Chicago or something like that and come in and pitch, uh, and I'm in the organic space, the guy in Chicago doesn't have a chance. 
I mean, you just drip and ooze this stuff. So, well, I mean, thank you for giving me a bit of a forum to, you know, stretch it out a little bit, but really, you know, when you're marketing um, to consumers and oftentimes to the trade as well, it has to be conveyed in kind of sound bites, you know, and social media bites today. So we've got to be able to tell that story uh, <laughs> on a label as well. Um, and a lot of times, again, the people behind these stories, uh, I think, you know, consumers do have interest in that connection. Um, and, you know, a lot of the gateway products, it's, it's new moms, you know, they're concerned for the health of their babies and, you know, optimal development. And so a lot of the gateway products for them are, you know, like dairy um, uh, baby products, uh, cereals. Um, but again, then they see, um, the value. I, I want to encourage people to talk about the value of organic, um, rather than the cost, because I actually think the cost is pretty comparable, especially post inflation that we've seen over the last year and a half coming out of the pandemic. Um, so then for me, again, I choose organic, um, and there are ways that you can shop organic on a budget to feed your family. Um, I would look at, um, it's the it's uh, Environmental Working Group's Dirty Dozen campaign. Check that out. It's a really good little guideline of maybe what foods that are more important to choose organic when you're on a budget. Things like soft fruits and vegetables that hold a lot of pesticide residues. If you save your money for that, your your organic bang for the buck will go a long way, um, you know, to the benefit of your family. So again, I think there are ways, but I'm a, a core consumer because uh, again, I feel it's a bit of a form of uh, optimal wellness. Um, there are reports from the organic center you can look up the organic center online that shows that organic fruits and vegetables um, are more nutrient dense than their conventional counterparts. And that's because a lot of times on the conventional side, uh, maximum yield is the most important thing. Uh, sometimes it, it's the expense of maximum nutrition. Um, so again, there are a lot of benefits for those that want to dive deeper and deeper. I would suggest looking at, um, the organic center, and I think it's organiccenter.org. I would look at the organic trade association. That's OTA.com. And then I would also encourage uh, people take a look at the organic consumers association, which does a lot to educate consumers about all these issues. Steve, is there a great online organic food store? You know, everywhere now, I have to tell you, you can buy organic once relegated to independent natural food stores, you know, Costco today, Walmart today, Kroger today are some of the biggest sellers of organic foods. Uh, Amazon, of course, is a huge seller of organic foods. There are other really excellent online stores. Most retailers now have online fulfillment. Um, Thrive Market, like Thriving, Thrive Market is one that has emerged as an online retailer that's making a big impact out there. Um, so, 
you know, I just I just encourage people to take a look at more at organic, learn more, and also choose organic where you can. You'd be surprised. A lot of it is very, very delicious. And again, like, um, you know, we talked about a little earlier, I just think there are organic options everywhere. If someone wants to choose a more plant-based diet, I actually would like to mention that there are a lot of, you know, plant-based meat alternatives out there. Um, but I would caveat mTOR and that a lot of them are actually highly processed plant-based meat alternatives. So again, um, for the consumer to really make it easy for themselves, look for the organic seal, choose organic. I'm a huge advocate of organic food and farming and the USDA organic program and that little seal on the food product or the clothing product or the personal care product or the nutritional product that you might choose. Fantastic. Great information, Steve. How do we find out more follow online or hire your agency? Uh, well, um, thank you. You could please visit compassnatural.com. It's one word. Um, and I actually was inspired the name because I used to help my father who was a boat captain for scuba divers. He ran a charter boat business for years off the Jersey coast. There's hundreds of shipwrecks out there over 600 years of sailing out of New York and Philadelphia harbors. But when I was, uh, just a preteen and teen, he'd put me behind the helm and say, uh, steer at this point on the compass. I'll be back in half an hour. And he would come back and he would say, okay, move over. I'm going to take over. Now you did good. And, um, he would find a shipwreck for divers to dive on. And I don't, it was magic and technology and talent. Wow. And he did that. And I learned from him and, uh, I just learned that compass to navigate toward your true North. And my true North is organic. I love it. Steve, thank you so much for being with us. Great information. And I'll never think about Cal Parks the same way. <laughs> Choose organic. And thank you so much for having me on your show. Our pleasure. And we're out of time for today, but you know, we're back tomorrow. Be safe, everyone. Take care. Go make some money. Bye now.